welcome to Let's Talk Small Talk, the monthly podcast hosted by Small Talk Speech and Language Therapy. Join us as we talk all things speech, language and communication. Each episode, we'll bring you interviews, discussions and updates surrounding the art of communication. Now, let's dive straight into today's episode. Hello and welcome to our very first podcast. I'm Libby Hill and today I'm going to be talking to the amazing Steph Curtis, blogger, parent and now author. So we'll be talking about her book shortly. I I surprised myself earlier because I realised it was actually 10 years ago that I came into contact with uh, Steph's blog. We were filming for Channel 4's Born Naughty and I'd come across uh, a, a young girl called Honey. She was nine. She'd been expelled from school for threatening to kill one of her classmates with a biro. Uh, she'd had autism assessments. Um, she hadn't fully fulfilled the criteria. So she'd come to us as a production team to see if we could find the answers that the NHS hadn't found. Um, I knew what I felt about her. I felt it was autism, but it was so much more. And I was looking around for answers. So I was working with a team. So Dr. Ravi Jayaram and Dr. Dawn Harper. Uh, and we had discussions and we said, we think it could be this thing called PDA, pathological demand avoidance. But because we were going to put our findings on national TV, we really had to be sure. So I was Googling everywhere. And I came across your blog. So um, she fitted the criteria that you were actually talking about in one of the posts that you'd only written uh, a few months previously. So she was resisting all demands, even everyday demands to clean her teeth, um, get dressed, resisting the demands to do things that even she really wanted to do which I hadn't really come across before. She got this surface sociability, but when you actually scratch that surface, it was it was surface level. And she had this Jekyll and Hyde quality where the first time I met her, she trashed the library. I saw her in a children's centre that was part of a library. You know how they used to set those up. And she completely trashed it. <laughs> She called me names that I've actually never been called in combination. I have since, but not then. Um, and basically terrified the librarian. I actually got told off by the council. Um, I saw her a second time at an animal-assisted therapy place. And I saw this completely lovely girl who was actually a joy to be with. Um, she got a bit of a language delay. She had obsessive behaviour. That was why she threatened to kill the boy at school, because it wasn't just her, her obsession, obsessive behaviour wasn't about things like you might expect of a typically autistic child. Her obsessive behaviour was people. And obviously, not just a love obsession. This one was a hate obsession, so she couldn't even stand the sound of him breathing. Um, but there wasn't really much about so when I was Googling it, that's when I find, found Steph's two girls. 
And I was very grateful at that time. And I've actually been dipping in and out ever since. So can we talk about the blog? What was it who, that prompted you to start that blog? Oh, so yes, a long time ago now. You said 10 years. It was actually 14 years ago when I started it. Um, and it was on the day that I went to see a pediatrician with our younger daughter. So we had two girls, and that's why it's called Steph, two girls. Um, but Sasha was just two and a half at the time. And we'd everything, you know, was going along fine-ish, <laughs> except that when she was younger, I tried to take her along to toddler groups with her older sister. And I, I kind of noticed that her older sister would sit down, listen to the instructions, follow the instructions, you know, do the dance or the music or whatever it was. And Sasha just wouldn't, um, you know, she might run around the room or she'd be very vocal, very loud about saying when she wanted to go. Um, so we couldn't really join in with these sort of toddler groups very easily. And I didn't really understand it, but I'd often put it down to hunger or tiredness you know, and her being young and a toddler and all of that sort of thing. Um, but it's interesting, the speech delay really was what um, kind of started all this off because um, her language was delayed. She was making a lot of sound, but no clear words. And her older sister had been talking, you know, I'm putting sentences together by this age, by the age of two. So we went to see um, a speech a therapist who did an assessment and then referred us to the paediatrician. And that's when we were told at that first meeting with the paediatrician that it was likely Sasha was autistic. So I came home and I, I don't really know what made me start writing the blog. There weren't a lot of bloggers around really in those days. It was that long ago. But I think I just wanted some kind of online diary where, um, where it would help me remember what was happening and what we said. But also I, I kind of knew that I was going to be asked a lot of these questions again and again in the future. We were also having um, like taking Sasha for hearing tests at the same time, which I now know is fairly common for a lot of autistic children because it seems like they're not paying attention, not hearing what you're saying to them. Um, so yeah, I kind of some of the questions were coming up and I, again and again and I thought I'll just you know try and cover all of this in one place and keep it as a record. And also to kind of share with local friends and family who weren't so local to try and explain what was different about Sasha's behaviour to our older daughters because she just came across as you know a toddler and a toddler not wanting to do things um, and I knew it was more than that but it was difficult for anybody outside of the family to understand that I think so I was trying to explain in ways. Because <laughs> I think that is the case isn't it that people don't understand so they might just see them as as naughty um, I mean, hence that the title of, of that. It wasn't actually called that as the working title. We were a bit appalled when we saw what the final title was. Mm -hmm. But, you know, people do see it as bad behaviour that needs to be punished. And why are you letting them get away with it? Yeah. So that must be very hard. Yeah, um, it was. And, you know, I always say I think we were lucky because we had an older daughter and we could see, you know, how we worked things with her. The typical parenting um, style worked fine. Um, but and the word naughty, I don't like naughty, but I say that Sasha is rarely naughty anyway. None of this came from kind of intentional, just not wanting to do things. And something you said before is kind of that there seemed to be often no rhyme or reason for why she couldn't do something. You know, it wasn't really a, a wooden and a choosing not to. It was a just kind of seemed unable to leave the house, for example. 
Um, so yeah, that there was a lot to it, but and a lot that other people weren't seeing. But on the surface, I I knew I could understand why other people would just think I wasn't being strict enough with her or making her do things. But it was literally impossible <laughs> to get her to do something. Yeah, I can imagine. So you went to the paediatrician and obviously he thought that she was autistic. What was the, it's the it's mentioned in the title of your book, but what was the light bulb moment for you? Because lots of parents talk about that light bulb moment. Yes, and the light bulb moment specifically regarding to PDA because um, we were sent away from that, the paediatrician's appointment um, with a leaflet about a group for mums of autistic girls specifically. So it was called Spectrum Girls and it was a meetup, you know, monthly kind of support group. Um, and I would go along to these meetings um, and this links in with something else you just said, where it was autism, but so much more because I'd go along and, and they would talk about their autistic girls. And I'd say, well, that sounds a bit like Sasha, but in lots of ways, it's not. And things that were working for their autistic girls just didn't work for Sasha. And I went on a general autism parenting course, very much the kind of thing I you know, help other parents with now. But those standard kind of autism, you know, strategies or approaches didn't seem to work for Sasha either. So I'd go along and I'd, I'd get and I was learning um, from these other mums because I knew nothing about autism before this point. So I was learning things, but I'd just come home and I'd go, well, but I, you know, it just didn't seem all that relevant for Sasha. So that's when, you know, I started going online and Googling and kind of going, well, she sounds like this, but not that. Um, and I thought, was it? I kind of I didn't disagree with the autism diagnosis, but it just felt like something else. And I came across um, a term that is pervasive development disorder, which is what all the uh, autism kind of fell under to start with, but then not otherwise specified. So a very catchy title, shortened PDDNOS. Um, and it was the not otherwise specified bit that Sasha kind of seemed to fall into this, where it's you know, it wasn't necessarily all, all the same as all the autistic characteristics that were being given at the time, 14 years ago. Um, so um, from there, then fairly quickly, then I came across um, what was at the time the PDA Society website forum and um, where people were talking about their children. And, it, and then I read the list of characteristics and it was just that Sasha ticked every one of those boxes. I think there's six now, but the language delay also used to be part of those kind of criteria characteristics. So that was an extra one that we had at the time as well. But but yeah, back then and still now, Sasha just falls under, you know, that list of characteristics. And that was the light bulb moment. So yeah, yeah. that was started it's interesting, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, we're, we're always we're always preface it with it's currently seen as part of the autism spectrum. Um, and there are some people who would prefer it if it wasn't seen as on the autism spectrum. Um, you know, there's some very well-known um, academics who who believe that. Um, however, when I talk to adult PDAers, they can pick out the bit that is the typical autism and separate it really from from the PDA. And so, you know, they all feel that it absolutely is part of the spectrum. Um, and there's lots of research going on. So you now I'm part of the, the PDA research group. Um, there's lots of research going on. So we're finding out much, much more. We're in a much better position now. And it's moved really quickly than, you know, when you had that, um, your, your first uh, light bulb moment. 
you know, the PDA Society have done wonders, really, as part of that. You know, we've we've been to Parliament, we've spoken to the head of NICE, we've spoken to the uh, head of NHS England. You know, they've really pushed it. Um, So we are in a better place. But we're not there yet. So many, many families are struggling. It's not in the diagnostic manuals. I believe it will be soon. In fact, I'm part of another working party to look at that. Um, And there's an American working party as well that I'm part of. We will get there. It won't be that long. We're not there yet. One of the difficulties I come across is that many CAMS departments will label it as ODD, so Oppositional Defiance Disorder. Um, And I have to say... One of the other great things about your blog was, midst of an argument with one CAMS department, <laughs> I actually sent them a link to your blog where you'd talked about the difference between <laughs> ODD and PDA. But do you know what? That was the only thing that I could find that wasn't some sort of academic project that really didn't give me the answers I needed. Um, so thank you for that, because that was really useful. And they in, ended up not giving that diagnosis. And they did say autism with extreme demand avoidance. Yeah. And, you know, we took that because ODD has got completely different connotations. Yeah, um, and different approaches. Um, and I do feel, you know, there's probably a lot of autistic PJs who were given that diagnosis wrongly. Um, yeah. Definitely. I think that's definitely, we should do a webinar about that. (laughs) (laughs) But, and also, so while we're going down this route, because um, that, you know, it's something else I talk about, the ODD, and I always say, Sasha, she was given, well, it was a word the paediatrician used, that she was oppositional, um, but she was in no way defiant um, or manipulative or any of the other words that might might be used along those lines. Um, But um, oppositional in that she wouldn't do, you know, the simple games that the paediatrician wanted her to play to do the assessment which I know our older daughter would have done in a flash it was just easy and kind of fun but Sasha absolutely was not going to do that Um, and this is at the age of two and a half you know very much knew her own mind and everything has always been on her own terms you know from from so young Um, but a couple of other things that get linked in with ODD as well or when talking about PGA is um, so trauma is a big one and for us there has been there has been no family trauma. Um, so, uh, you know, whether if we talk about PJ, it's a trauma response, you know, that might um, need more research. But then, you know, for Sasha, this is neurological from birth. It's not nothing that happened to her that has caused PDA. So I think there's confusion there that comes in that I very much want, you know, I feel that needs to be kept separate. Yes, there may be crossovers, but it's not that PDA is trauma. Definitely not. Um, and then the other one, which is more interesting, is ADHD. Because Sasha also um, is not diagnosed ADHD. We uh, did the ADHD assessment when she was about six. Um, and, it, you know, maybe it was borderline, but it was a no. Um, so I don't think we can explain Sasha's PDA by saying autism and ADHD. That is not her and that doesn't describe her in the way that the PDA characteristics do. So. Yeah, two issues there. I'd love to see more research on all of this. Definitely. And the attachment as well. Um, oh, yes, that was the other one. Yes, you're right. Yeah, so no attachment I wonder if that was the second. There's the attachment issues too. Mm-hmm. So I, I see them as a group who have got extremely sensitive 
<laughs> nervous systems. Yeah. And so I think that, that we can sort of see it as a trauma response in terms of fight, flight, freeze, mm -hmm. fawn. Um, but yeah, absolutely, you know, no, none of these major traumas that, you know, somebody who's observed something bad or been in a car accident or lost yeah. a parent. It's not, it's not like that. Okay. I do wonder if it's the, you know, everyday daily traumas of going into school situation that doesn't suit your neurology um but it is no i i agree wholeheartedly that we we must be very careful not to talk about it as trauma or as a trauma um because it it we need to separate it from that because otherwise we're going to have parents who feel oh that's parental blame again it must be something we've done or, or yeah i have yeah. a lot of difficulties with with social workers who don't understand it so they mm. believe so, so again mm. the parental blame yeah. is a huge issue and, I and find for me I feel so strongly you know speaking up about this because Sasha you know was so young she was diagnosed and all of this was happening before school age as well so although she may have since had school trauma you know that wasn't there and there wasn't trauma in the home it was just everyday standard kind of life and all of those difficulties were there so it came from her neurology for sure Definitely, definitely. We really need people to understand that. So if we move on to talking about your book, uh, I really enjoyed it. And thank oh, you very much for the mention. <laughs> I felt very honoured. Yeah, I mean, from that assessment, my my take out from that was, are you even a therapist? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think she was quite polite with you. <laughs> she was very polite. But I actually, I felt quite, uh, I thought that was, that was quite nice. I thought it was a compliment. <laughs> I think it showed I was doing my job properly, really. Well, yeah. But, <laughs> but um, there's lots of messages in the book. What I really like about it is, you know, after every chapter, you summarise it and you give people what they could do if they're in that in that situation, which I think is is really useful because I know a lot of people in that situation. I know, but and that's quite the... interesting, though. Oh, sorry, I was going to say, because the publisher initially asked me to do more of an advice for parents book. Um, but I kind of feel, you know, I've been writing about our experiences um, and I'm happy to share those. But I, I know that everyone's situation is, is different. So I'm not sure I have. You know, well, I know I don't have all the answers even for us, but not for, for other families and situations. So general advice I can do. But um, yeah, it gets more difficult after that. But, uh, do you know, I think because this is so new, I mean, obviously, Elizabeth Newson didn't even do the list of characteristics till the mid 80s. Mm -hmm. So it is new. And I don't think anybody has all the answers. Yeah. So anybody who says they're an expert in PDA are probably an expert in that particular person with PDA yeah. sure. <laughs> or yeah, group of true. people. Because I don't know about you, but the more I learn, the more I know I need to know. And <laughs> yeah. um, And I think if you think otherwise you're probably stupid <laughs> <laughs> but um one of the messages that i really like in the book is about trusting yourself because i do believe as a parent you're the expert in your child is there anything you want to comment on for that yeah so i mean really interesting i heard um dr barry present i think it is um talking on on a podcast the other day and um, I, I absolutely have said that for years, you know, parents are experts in their own children. We're the ones who are with them 24 hours a day. And, you know, with PJ, it is about the little things as well and knowing all of those triggers constantly on your toes, you know, people like walking on eggshells and you're, you're 
you're always watching out for what affects your child that other people might not think of. Um, I actually went for a walk with Sasha into town today, which is very unheard of. Has not happened for ages. This was after school. Um, but, you know, the fact that she could not do that on her own as a 16-year-old girl is obviously um, unusual. Um, but, you know, I, I'm hyper aware of everything, you know, in a shopping centre that would cause her issues and distraction and what she is able to do and isn't, you know, when I think about someone else going out with her, they wouldn't automatically think that of her. So, yes, I know a lot more about her than most of the people but actually Dr Prasant said you know it is important to also have professionals input you know and, and other points of view and I, I do agree with that too so it's a, it should be a collaborative process but I think very often it seems to be you know one side or the other and and there's not all that communication in the middle that's so important for help mm. these children so it's so important I really like him actually I liked his book uh, Uniquely Human yeah I think it's one of the best books written about autism because it doesn't see it as um you know some sort of difficulty as difficult as a rise out of it but it's a difference yeah. and I think the more that people embrace that mm -hmm. and they don't see it as a negative yeah. um there's lots of positives about being autistic um yeah. and I, I so I liked his work he was also one of the first ones who looked at echolalia as being functional which is the start of the process of talking about gestalt language processing, yeah. which is this other way of language processing, which we're only just embracing, really. Um, I mean, I did my training in 2020 um, in lockdown, but it's only it's new. And yet we really need to know about it because it completely affects the way that we uh, deal with a child with a language delay if they are a gestalt processor so I do like him he is uh, he is one of my my favorite people um <clears throat> what I liked about the message in the book was that you realized that her withdrawal or her extreme emotional outbursts were actually signs of stress so the stress of the everyday demands that were being placed upon her um that's really what we need other people to be confident about. But a lot of people say, yeah, but how do you know that? Are they not just being, you know, that naughty word again? Yeah. <laughs> um what yeah, what that... are your what what do you what do you respond when people say that? Yeah, it's really difficult to to understand that. And I, again, I think because this happened so young for us, you know, we kind of had years of experience of that now. Um, excuse me but um I, yeah it's I, I don't know what what the answer is I don't have a, a clear answer for that unfortunately um yeah we've just kind of learned that as we've gone along yeah because some people are quite late to to come to that um realization aren't they yeah and I, I just I mean my because I'm a speech and language therapist obviously my first go-to is always behavior is communication so we have to look better and harder what is it they're trying to communicate um yeah. so you know you did that very early on which is which is yeah. great basically it's interesting actually because Sasha was um with another thing that often is talked about with PJ is the kind of uh, the idea of aggression and violence being linked and Sasha was never 
um, you know, that way inclined. Her her avoidance was this drawer with this mushroom position, you know, curling up, um, hiding under a table or a duvet or, or whatever. So she was never lashing out. And in a way that it's good and bad because then there's less attention being drawn to being drawn to her difficulties <laughs> so but obviously better that, that she's not you know creating that big um issue at the time so um but yeah definitely behavior can be a whole manner of things can't it um and you know verbal communication is something that Sasha still struggles with um the whole two-way conversation so understanding the speech is definitely you know really important really key and and we as as a family have had to change the speech we use you know, from again, from that we, we were using and would have used with our older daughter. That's very much simple language based around a lot of demands and saying what should happen. Because as a parent, you're the one in control and doing the teaching and telling them what to do. Um, and that worked fine for our older daughter, but absolutely didn't. And you could see the, you know, the increase in anxiety still can today. You know, if we are, are trying to put any time pressure on or, you know, saying that some things might happen. So. Yeah, the whole language issue is really interesting in communication. Mm, it, it is fascinating, definitely. We get a lot of um, children, in fact, we get them from all over the country, um, referred around year five. Mm. And I noticed in the book that year yes. five was a particularly bad year yes. uh, for you, your family too. Was that the worst year? or? Um, well... So I'd, I'd go on to say the school issues since then have made um, future years worse. But um, it, it was, um, so Sasha was in a mainstream school up until year five. And the whole of that year five was difficult. Um, also not helped by the fact that we were renovating a house at the time. So <laughs> that just added to the fun. Um, but um, it was also, we noticed at school, it was um, where Sasha actually started to become aware of how different she was. So up until that point, she wasn't really seeing herself as different to the other children, even though she had extra support. And, you know, for example, in year two, they'd um, done their, their sacks that the year twos were having to do. Um, but Sasha hadn't sat down with all the others and taken those written tests. She'd been taken into a, a small room and they'd actually played a musical triangle to get her to answer any of the questions and done it that way. So it was a lot more informal but she hadn't seen that difference but by year five she was noticing the difference where the other girls in the class were talking about music and boys and makeup and fashion and Sasha was not interested in any of that so her interests were different and she didn't feel she well not even she didn't feel she could she didn't want to join in on those kind of conversations but also in year five they were starting slowly but starting to introduce the year six SATS work so it was that, it was the academic work, having to sit down and be serious and put pen to paper and all of that was, yeah, not something Sasha could manage. No, I think there's such a lot of pressure, isn't there, with the SATs? Yeah. Um, and really, it doesn't matter, does it? No, those it's exams not... don't matter. But it, but it's interesting because at that point, then you obviously you're heading into year six. And then when the big change comes in secondary school is where a lot of children really struggle because of the difference in in how they're managed and what they're expected to do and all of those changes. So, mm. Yeah, yeah there, there's so much. I listened to um, Naomi Fisher at lunchtime talking about, um, oh, so do I, she's great, uh, looking at um, autistic teenagers and what you can do to help the anxiety there. And she'd got one of the slides looking at how different it is mm -hmm. from the small nurturing primary school. Everybody knows you. You've probably got one teacher 
and then you move. And, you know, the executive function challenges of finding your way around the school and organising yeah. yourself, never mind anything else that comes up yeah. is, is bad, isn't it? Um, one of the things that um, that I hear a lot, and obviously if they tell me this, I don't comment at the time, but I have a lot of parents who talk about dragging their children into school and having staff prize their fingertips off them. What would your advice be to those parents? Yeah, so, um, I mean, I, I saw this happen at our school when I was going in with Sasha, when Sasha was starting to show signs of it not being the right place for her. And again, I guess because we'd had the years of build up to this point, you know, it wasn't a sudden thing. I could kind of see it coming. I'd never thought she would actually cope in the mainstream environment in the first place. So um, I guess I had that benefit. But the the whole, yeah, trying to um, trying to force a child to do something that they're clearly not comfortable with. I think it's about switching your mindset as a parent and, you know, thinking that there must be something there that is not good for that child. Uh, you know, and not that it's all bad and evil, but, you know, it's just not suiting them. Something about that environment or the way they're being made to learn is not fitting with how their brain works and needs to take that information in because if it was they would be happy going in so and obviously there's a multitude of reasons why um children might not be happy in school um but so it's about being detectives and trying to find out those reasons I guess um but yeah I I do I you know always really feel for both the parents and the child when it comes to that situation but I think everyone needs to take a step back and I've always said all along that what I wanted was for people education staff or local authority everybody to just be honest about what you know the child's capabilities are and what suits them you know and trying to squash them into a system that is suitable for the majority you know it is not going to work for all children so when it doesn't accept that and find a, a new way yeah because I think you know if you think about if you look at demand avoidance through a polyvagal lens they're in that sympathetic nervous system state they're not feeling safe and that's why they're fine at home because they're safe and the parent is the safe person so you know I, I always worry that they're going to lose the trust of that parent who I, yeah. I know it's hard because obviously the parent is told on the other hand no you have to bring them in otherwise we're going to fine you it's you know it's legal requirement yeah. etc but I always worry because I think you know if you lose your parent as your safe person that is just so awful isn't it and so that does worry me but the other thing that that always occurs to me with children with PDA is that the whole school setup in mainstream is based upon compliance. Mm. And so <laughs> yeah. and I think this, it goes back to what I was saying about our older daughter and when she was younger, when Sasha was first diagnosed, it made me think more about my older daughter and, you know, her peer group. And just look at them and go, wow, they all just sit there like I did as well, you know, sit there and do what they're yeah. told in the school environment. It's like that's kind of a bit wow, really, whereas Sasha just knows her own mind and she is definitely not up for, for that. So, I mean, saying that, Sasha really wanted to be in school, has always wanted to be in school and have those experiences. But, it, you know, there's various reasons why that's not easy for her. Mm um so but yes kind of the, the whole um conforming and doing what someone you know what someone else has decided is the agenda and I do feel for parents who you know have so much stress put on them in terms 
of the attendance registers and all of that. So that whole not fine and stool is definitely, you know, a topic alongside PDA that I talk about a lot. It's just not right. No, it isn't, is it? Yeah, it, it yeah, it, it makes me very sad actually. Yeah. Well, one of the things that you just said there was about her expectation to be in school, because that's one of the things that I find with um, PDA individuals is their own expectations. So we can we can strip back our expectations, strip mm -hmm. back our demands, but it's their own demands, their own expectations. And so I find many of them, well, I should be in school. You know, I, I need to go to school. I want to go to school. And so they put themselves in that situation for longer or repeatedly, um, which isn't doing them any good, but it's because they feel they should. Yeah, and Sasha's still the same. You know, she kind of, she thinks there are things expected of her, even though, you know, we have reduced a lot of demands. And, and for every family, this is going to be different, the amount of demands that you have to reduce for any child. But for Sasha, it has been a lot. But yes, she still has this pressure in her own mind it's like a tug of war and it makes it difficult to understand yourself then when you know there's something you think you should be doing should be able to do and you just mm. can't then it's confusing does that extend as well to things that she might or we, we would say look forward to yeah. do, does does she have an expect so so for instance there's a boy that I work with and he um, I, he was going on holiday and I stupidly said, oh, are you looking forward to it? And he went, that'd be ridiculous. And I said, sorry, that was a stupid question. Because he has learned not to look forward to anything because if he's got an idea in his head and then it doesn't live up to it, then yeah. does yeah, that not matching anything? those expectations. Yeah, for sure. And we would say, and this was, you know, again, a, a PGA pointer, I would say, from the early years, was Sasha really loved swimming. But, you know, we would find that it was so difficult get her to leave the house to go swimming and you know for, for a while we thought that was sensory difficulties and she did have big issue with you know socks and shoes and in particular the seams of socks so we looked into that and we bought seamless socks she's always had seamless socks from that point on but that still didn't you know it helped her be able to put her socks and shoes on sometimes but still didn't help her be able to go somewhere that we knew that you know some days she could go and really enjoyed but then others yeah there was no Kind of no rhyme or reason for it. We used to say it's difficult mm. for her, difficult for her, you know, as well. I mean, it's it's interesting that when you say no rhyme or reason, because um, I've had a conversation with uh, Sally Cat recently, and you know, PDA is illogical, <laughs> and and I think it's that's why it's hard for somebody without PDA to get their head around it. Yeah, because Agreed. it isn't logical. You know, autism with extreme demand avoidance, it's logical. There'll be a reason for their demand avoidance. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, we can all be demand avoidant, mm -hmm. but this is on a on it's a different it's level. It's through everything every day. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I've had a couple of questions from the Facebook page. Um, so because they avoid doing things that things that they really love, Many parents report, quite naturally, I suppose, that they get very frustrated with the situation. And, you know, so they might have said they want to go to I don't know, a school trip or something, and then they just can't do it. And they forked out all the money. <laughs> so there's a, there's a lot riding on it and they're getting frustrated. 
what's your advice for staying calm? Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's something I've had to do. I say I've had to learn to be Switzerland and just be totally neutral, and never show any kind of emotion. Although I will caveat that with talking about emotion that is good at a different point in time, you know, and trying to to get the media to understand, you know, how you're feeling about things as well and talk about how they might be feeling. But yeah, in, in that moment, if you're trying to get something done, um, it's and again, it's a, a practice makes perfect kind of thing. Letting out your own emotion at a different time, you know, holding it in, running to the bottom of the garden and having a quick scream or, you know, going to the toilet, shutting the door, whatever it is, taking breathing space. But yeah, not showing, not letting any of that come out where the PGA can see it because they're so sensitive. They can pick up any slight tone, you know, change in tone of voice. Um, so, yeah, I've definitely had to practice a lot at doing that yeah I think you must be very practiced at doing that by now to be honest <laughs> um, the other question was have you got any tips about keeping your relationship because obviously many of the families that I work with have actually split under the pressure I did respond to that question by saying I thought that Mr C was probably a very special person <laughs> oh you're too kind <laughs> You sound as bad as Sasha, who said his chapter is the best in the book. I'm like, oh, thanks. It is good. It is good. And it was good to see him. It on is the, good. Uh, I think it's good to hear from a you know a male point of view. But I keep reminding people he only had to do one chapter, and I did the other uh, twelve. Um, but um, and his his is funny. Well, you know, it's a humorous look, but you know, real honest as well. But that's what Sasha liked about it was the wit in it. Um, I think to try and make the whole book funny would have been quite difficult. Um, but now I totally know that lots of relationships um, fall under this extreme stress and you really do need to be singing from the same hymn sheet to use another um, of those phrases. But um, yeah, so, you know, I'm, I'm glad he agreed with, you know, what I said I was seeing, but, but also he could see if he tried certain things that they didn't work so well. So it is the more time you spend with the, the PGA individual, the more you learn about them and the more you can see what does and doesn't work. So, um, so yeah, luckily, we've not really disagreed. But he is still very much more um, traditional, I would say, you know, because he's not with her all the time. You know, maybe he does still try some of those traditional things or not think things through as much as I do, because just from the not spending the, the sheer amount of time with Sasha that I do. So. Um, yeah, it can be challenging at times, but hopefully humour is, is, I think, what's kept us together. <laughs> yeah, humour is essential yep. for everything, isn't it? When it is, it? definitely. Yeah, fun yeah, fun is a big word in our PGA as well. <laughs> definitely. You see, it is, it is it's such a different type of autism, isn't it? Mm. Because, you know, like you were saying about how empathic and how well she reads people. I've heard that so many times. Yeah. Um you know, Jane Sherwin's daughter speaks very well about it, about how she feels she can read people's auras and she yeah. can tell whether they're a good person or not, or she can tell, yeah. you know, what, what yeah. they're thinking. Um, mm. but, that you know, was, that was another thing that Dr. Prezant said about people who have it, or I think it was have it or don't have it, in terms of that, I can tell, you know, fairly quickly when someone new is introduced to Sasha, whether Sasha is going to you know be able to form a relationship with them it is fairly instant <laughs> and being fun as you were but you know that is a key part of not being too serious and not having your own agenda you know that, that you want to force on them and kind of being flexible so I know all the 
qualities are of those people. Um, but yeah, it's difficult sometimes to find them. I mean, we had a meeting this morning about um, she's twenty, um, and you know, looking at the sort of people that we want working with her. And the the bottom line, I feel that it needs to be people who are very confident in their own ability, but can also be their equal. Yeah. Which sounds a bit like an oxymoron, but that's sort of that that's how I was talking yeah. to this morning because that's how I feel it it needs to be really. Yeah. But um, but there's so many positives to PDAs. I mean that that brilliant argument that uh, <laughs> she could obviously do from very early on, <laughs> you know. Many of the children that I have worried about aged 11 mm. have gone on now, you know, in the 20s or in the, they were in the 30s, and they're actually doing really well. Mm. They're happy individuals. Yep. They're still doing their own thing, but there's nothing wrong with that when you're an adult. That's actually what's encouraged, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. So I know you've only just finished that book, but what I would like in a few years' time <laughs> is a follow-up book <laughs> so that we can find out what, what happens in the next chapter okay i'm gonna if sasha lets me <laughs> if she lets you yes just because jane sherwin um w wanted to do a new book when uh molly was 18 but i don't think that's been no. uh, forthcoming and maybe yeah. it isn't needed maybe it isn't needed yeah because i'm assuming i mean i'd love it if sasha could tell her own story or you know her sister from her perspective as well but i think yeah. sasha well i mean sasha does you know type fiction so who knows but um I think she'd be more likely to come up with an animation describing her life. So we're waiting for well, that. Well, I would look forward to that because I'm <laughs> sure that would be fantastic. Well, Steph, thank you so much for talking to me today. I really do appreciate that, as always. Um, and I hope to talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to this episode of Let's Talk Small Talk. If you like what you heard, then be sure to hit like and subscribe. And why not share with other like-minded people? Until next time, take care and remember, communication is everything.